0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Assalamu alaikum and welcome once again uh, to Elevated Places broadcast. As many of you know, founded by my beloved sister and friend, student minister and Dr. Ava Mohammed. We greet you in the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful. We forever thank Him for coming and showing us his presence in the great Makti Mastafahd Muhammad and leaving with us his messenger Messiah, the Most Honorable Muhammad and their servant today among us, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. We thank you so very, very, very much for being with us today. And we want to just encourage all of the listeners to visit Dr. Ava's website at www.MinisterAva.com. Again, her website, www.MinisterAva.com. Let people know that we have a special guest for us tonight. Call your friend, Let them know. This is an important show uh, where we're going to talk about a great, great topic, God said he would give us life and life more abundantly, how to eat to live. They're inextricably intertwined. But before we get into those matters, let us first hear from our uh, sister, a national correspondent for the final call, Sister Charlene Muhammad, who will give us the news roundup. Sister Charlene, are you there?
2: Yes, sir. As-salamu alaykum. How are you, Brother Abdul? Ours, Muhammad.
1: Wa well, alaykum, salam, my dear sister. Go right ahead.
2: Thank you. As-salamu alaykum to everyone. For In the News and Elevated Places, out of our great Final Call newspaper, Sister Anissa Muhammad, our contributing writer in Atlanta, Georgia, Lifts Up, Up with Jesus, Down with Santa, 2022. She highlights the clarion call issued seven years ago by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, who also is the publisher of the Final Call newspaper. And this was during his 2015 Justice or Else national tour and gathering on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. The minister called on black and poor people to boycott Christmas and holiday spending to support black-owned businesses and to put Jesus at the forefront of their lives. You all may remember a few episodes ago, right, Brother R. on Elevated Places, right here on Blog Talk Radio, Brother R others, Brother Ilya Rashad, and Brother Asika Muhammad, and others, they reflected on the life and legacy of Dr. Ava Muhammad, who is the Nation of Islam spokesperson who passed away earlier this year she made her transition and how she led the charge on matters such as this that's pertaining to separation building and pooling our resources for independence and sister Anissa also highlights the retail spending statistics and of course the great call for economic withdrawal the blackmall.com ceo and co-founder uhuru says that for her Buying black is a 365-day lifestyle. She also hopes that the holiday season ignites that lifestyle in others. Great job, Sister Anisa. Also in the special section COVID-19 and the U.S. policy of depopulation, Dr. Ridgely Mohammed's article this week sheds light on the warp speed production of COVID-19 vaccines and just how, the government's depopulation agenda has and continues to be exposed. He cites Dr. Joseph Mercola, a scientist who stated in an article December 2nd this year, the article is banking on a shot in the dark. Wow. Pfizer compressed its vaccine development timeline from 10 years, you all, to a mere nine months by simultaneously developing and testing the product in human trials. Pfizer and other COVID jab makers hid side effects by eliminating the control groups long before the studies were over. I can't wait to continue reading that. And also finally, supporters and members of St. Sabina Church joyously welcomed their longtime pastor and father, Michael Flager, back to the ministry on Sunday, December 11th. This was after Father Flager, who was an activist priest, was reinstated already. A review board said there was no evidence that he was guilty of sexual abuse, and the Archdiocese of Chicago decided not to keep Father Flager from his duties as senior pastor, after he was temporarily removed from his duties, again a sexual abuse allegation that surfaced in October. So that's it for in the news tonight. I'm looking so far to hearing from Dr. Shabazz and the dialogue between you two, Brother Arif. Thank you for having me. Thank you, producer Donna Muhammad, and thank you, executive producer Brother Darius Muhammad. wa alaikum
1: well, salam. Thank you so much. Uh, dear sister Charlene. And we want uh, to encourage people uh, when the lines open to call in with their questions and comments to 563-999-3065 and then press one to get to the queue. We have a special program tonight and as we begin to introduce our guests, Again, the title being Life More Abundantly and How Can We Have Life More Abundantly, a part of it is tied divinely into how to eat the live, And so we who are followers of the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad under the leadership of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, we know that in these teachings we were given two great books, entitled How to Eat to Live, but the full titles of the book was From God in Person, Master fard Muhammad by Elijah Muhammad, Messenger of Allah, How to Eat to Live. Well, what better way to have life more abundantly than being obedient to Almighty God? The most honorable Elijah Muhammad was given the knowledge of how to teach us on how to eat to live, particularly coming up out of a savage and slave condition. And so we're really honored tonight to have with us a wonderful sister of ours who I've gotten to know uh, a lot better as we have been in the battles together, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, this. Her name is Dr. Sophia Shabazz, and I would ask you all to get the final call of volume 41, number 37, from June the 21st, 2022, entitled A Victory for Ivermectin, Nation of Islam and Muslim Physician, and this Muslim physician is our sister, Dr. Sophia Shabazz, wins battle with insurance company over the use of Ivermectin as part of the treatment regimen for coronavirus. Uh, there's much more we want to get to know her, and I want you, the audience, to get to know her uh, even better. Dr. Sophia Shabazz, are you there?
3: as alaykum.
1: Wa alaykum, salam. How are you this evening?
3: I'm fine. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation to uh, join on, as a guest on the Elevated Places program it's quite an honor it's um something that you know the, even the phrase i know it's a, one of the uh is of the holy quran but you know I, I i used to have an airbnb that i called the elevated place <laughs> <laughs> uh, with you know thinking in mind not only of the uh chapter, but of the um of this program and well I, I thank
1: you Dr. Doctor Ava well I thank you so much I, I agree with you the, the word elevated places is such a beautiful chapter in the Holy Quran and uh, interestingly enough I, I learned that's where my name comes out of in that chapter
4: mm. uh, Arif
1: it comes from that chapter elevated places So what I'd like to do, Dr. Sophia, if you would, because in this day and time in which we live, it doesn't matter how much money we have or material possessions we have, if we don't have good health. It's it's priceless and one of the most valuable things. But before we start getting into all of those aspects, please tell our audience a little bit about yourself. You're so accomplished um, in terms of your background and your activities. Share something a bit about your background and experience, while listening, audience.
3: Well, by last brief, I'm I'm always grateful to Allah for having been born to Muslim parents and the foundational um, training and aspects that that provided to me, and just having light be on my brain as it was forming and, you know, throughout my development so that as I was able to seek out knowledge from various places, it was laid on top of our foundation of our teachings. So I'm always grateful to that because what I've found as I uh, went through College. I have an undergraduate degree in chemical engineering uh, and a
5: medical degree
3: and residency training in family medicine. And having done, um, you know, I, I did most of my training here in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania. I had the opportunity to spend time in a mostly black professional environment For a year and a half at um, Morehouse School of Medicine that uh, Not for medical school But for my residency training My initial years were at uh, Morehouse and Family Medicine training Before I moved back to Philadelphia And just in the course of my career Having been (laughs) Where I feel like for me It's so easy to see the teachings and, And to have I feel like I kind of became nation famous for kind of mentally collecting the things that I would come across that I found to be um, – to help explain why we were taught to do certain things. Not that it required validation, but it sure, as a scientist, to me, I, I like to inclination for observations in the natural world. So if we were taught, for instance, to – Eat one meal a day, it gives, it makes me excited to find, uh, or to learn why it is that, that helps us to have life more abundantly and why, you know, if you look at the simple, simple language of how to eat to live and the instructions we, we are given with that as the core of it and the claims or assertions that the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad made in terms of the benefits to us and to find, you know, and to, and to just learn, wow, this is, when you go and look at the cellular level, this is what is happening, that's the type of thing that excites me. So um, I, I owe that all to the teachings first, and then, you know, my experience or
0: credentials
3: um, in, in, yes, the white man's world for the most part, <laughs> But is laid on a foundation of the teaching. So, yes, sir.
1: Well, all praise is due to Allah. We thank you so much. Tell us somewhat about your practice and um, the area that you are treating uh, patients in Philadelphia.
3: Yes. Well, um, my just in terms of my specialty being in family medicine, that is, it's uh, general or primary care which is really the basis of, um, I mean, of course, we know that the diet is the basis of health and primary care is the basis of health care or the health care system um, in terms of preventive care. I serve all ages. I, I, As a family doctor, trained to provide maternity care and obstetrics and deliver babies, et cetera. I have not done that since. I finished residency in 2006, but, you know, really we stay from womb to tomb. So I uh, have patients who are newborns. I have a patient who is 102 years old. So we, um, you know, I stand the whole breadth of, and, you know, I'm kind of the first stop to start to be the foremost expert in everything at once. But um to be an expert in identifying issues or identifying when one of these is not like the other, and um, when to calling reinforcements, all of those things are part of my day to day responsibility in my practice, which is in Philadelphia um, I don't know if you know the people really are familiar with the layout of the city it's you know it's not the roughest part of the city but a very diverse one and i have
2: patients i i
3: actually have a patient that comes all the way periodically all the way from senegal west africa <laughs> to be my patient so you know there's not necessarily a geographic restriction uh for my patients but i'm located there in Philadelphia.
1: And at Fountain, come on, say the name.
3: Yes, uh, Fountain <laughs> Medical Associates. Yes, sir. Fountain Medical Associates. So that is the name of the practice, FountainMedOnline.com, and um, we, you know, we serve three different groups of patients. One is uh, we have a, a number of Medicaid patients. We serve uh, Medicare patients. And then, since you know, really this year, I started transitioning away from the commercial insurances and such. And some of that was directly related to some of the problems that I personally had out of the um, insurances. One in particular, but you know, I while wanting to be available to people who really don't have the resources, what we've come to learn you know, just even in our work just trying to raise our people is that people make all types of choices with their finances and many of us are we say that we care about, you know, our health. We say that we care about our families and God and all of that. But if you look at how we're spending our money that would tell a different story, you know?
1: So health um, health has to be first. Well Is that right? Health I
3: don't. I, I mean, everyone wants to jockey for their their interest to be the first one. I guess I'm open for uh, debate about it. But if you don't have life, then <laughs> you're done, right? So
1: agreed. Life more abundantly. <laughs> if you don't have health and life, you don't have anything else. And exactly. so we used to have a saying in the black community: our people beg uh, for what. Uh, they want, and they don't spend on the things that they need that are really necessary. I think I'm getting the quote right, but if I'm not, somebody right. will text me. And, and, and prioritizing what's most important, um, right? Life exactly. and health. But I, but but since you touched on it, would would you, would you be considered a primary care physician? Is that yes, the right sir. term, or is it okay? So, and uh, it, it as you said, it ranges the gamut. But since you brought up an issue we'll we'll take this right now off uh uh the top here in terms of the great victory god blessed uh okay it says we beg for what we need and buy what we want thank you for that that that's good clarity <laughs> We I, I knew i thought i had it a little switched up uh uh um and so We pay for what we want as opposed to uh, and then try to beg for what we need, but it should be the reverse. The need is first and the wants are afterwards. But let's talk about this great victory that God blessed uh, us to have earlier this year, and I'll just give a very brief synopsis, and then you can share your thoughts with the audience back. And uh, around February of this year, uh, one of of your medical insurers um, basically threatened and did, in fact, uh, terminate the contract because they were not in agreement with your uh, medical decision to use ivermectin as a part of a treatment regimen for those who uh, were suffering from COVID-19. And... Of course, we did not agree with that decision, and and of course you didn't. And we took up the fight with the backing of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, and uh, at the end, God blessed us with the victory that you were really uh, exonerated and really um, vindicated in a very strong way for what you were doing and the efficacy of what you were doing. And and I want to just read this apart from the decision. And, again, you can get this in the final call. As I said, if you go back to, uh, let me pull it again so I can, uh, volume
3: 41,
1: while, number while 37. You're looking for that, oh, I Yeah, volume thir- 41, number
3: 37. Go ahead. You want to say something? Go ahead. Yes, sir, because... You know, really, it really started November of last year because that was when I got the initial warning, one that I had never received before for any other matter on any of the many various things that I treat. It was a letter from the insurance company telling me that Mm -hmm. I must not use this certain medication, ivermectin, to treat this certain condition, do not use ivermectin for COVID nineteen, and uh, you know a series of uh, threats, including one that really you know it, it was it was subtle, but I know the implication of it. To threaten you know me with uh, being reported for fraud, waste, and abuse, and that going on a national database and things like that are pretty serious threats Um, where I sat on it for a while I I didn't I don't even know if I mentioned it as soon as I got it you know I meditated on it for a minute thought about it for a minute and I think January January, late January was when you know we activated you know um, with the uh, approval of uh, the Honorable Minister Archive, where, you know, started to activate and they, their response was violent. <laughs> you know, their response was violent. I was immediately, 600 of my patients were without uh, their primary care physician. I mean, we had people on the phone crying real tears because they had no backup plan for the patients. Um, so it wasn't just about me. They had no plan at all <laughs> for who was going to take care of the patients that I was caring for, who was going to do even simple administrative on their behalf, like putting in a referral so they could see the cardiologist if they needed to see one or any other um, health care provider, if that's the type of insurance that they had. So it was, it was really violent and vicious and abrupt their yeah, response that really kind of um, it got really real really fast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, um, ma'am. And so tell us a little bit about your decision fight up because it's important uh, when you believe in something and you know the truth of something that we have to stand up and fight for the truth and like you said it wasn't just about you it was also about the patients that you had helped which were into the hundreds that you had treated
3: Yes, sir and beyond that you know just from a professional standpoint it's 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 there's layers even beyond the matter of Covid nineteen and the ability to use that medication amongst other tools that I had at my disposal. Is even beyond that the control aspect and the you know suppression aspect of you know what had
0: previously been
3: considered you know a pretty highly regarded profession. Now all of a sudden I had some entity telling me, basically removing from me my privileges as a physician with no real basis for it. I mean, this ivermectin is far from the most, I mean, it's it's really one of the most safe medications that I use in the course of practice in medicine. I mean we could debate back and forth about how well it works and whatever studies they have is really besides the point because you could come up with 20 examples that are similar where in my clinical experience, I don't believe in luck like that. And by, you know, December, January of, uh, by December 2021 or January of 2022, at that point we're a good almost two years into the pandemic, and I had not had a single patient who had succumbed to the infection, you know, that I had treated or who had ended up, you know, just worsening to the point where I was failing in my management of them and had to, you know, send them forward uh, to get treatment where they really went downhill on the on downward spiral from there. I mean, and, and, and
0: from all of,
3: boy, all of since maybe March or April of 2021, when I really had gotten solid in the various aspects of my treatment plan, including when someone wasn't really responding, you know, as well to just the things like the nutritional supplements or the ivermectin, where I it it really I have not had to, a need to really send anyone to the hospital because they were getting worse on me um, for, for like a year. You know, there was people that came to me in bad condition already where I'm like, may yes, let's go ahead to the hospital. But um, I try to get them out of there as soon as I can before they kill them in there, you know, with their incompetence. I mean, I really felt strongly that this was something that I, it would be unethical for me to not stand up. And you know, we all have our thresholds. I don't I, I don't put my license on the line willy nilly. I mean this I spent years of sacrifice to have the credentials to be able to practice my profession and you know, lots of money, loans I'm still paying on my funds out of college and I'm still paying my student loans and I had a scholarship. Um <laughs> where I, I didn't take it lightly to you know, go poke poke the dragon, but um, you know I, I I am a person of faith, and I do think that you have to have something that you're willing to say enough, you know. And I cannot in good conscience do X Y and Z.
1: So. Well, the pr- the principle is so great that we stand on what we believe to be the truth. And I think the principle that you are pointing out, which is a great principle in our faith, for you in this instance was someone attempting to take away from you your ability as a physician to use your own professional judgment of what is the best interest of your patient and something that is decided by the doctor and the patient And there was this interference in that of trying to now really impose upon you how you should practice and what judgment you should use with your patients, which is highly irregular and really a violation. Uh, And that principle you stood strong on along with your right uh, of the truth to create a treatment plan for your patients. So as you've already said, we... Uh, went through this process and resisted, and as the uh, the scripture says, uh, re- resist the devil, and he will flee from you, stand up to the truth, and so this battle was taken up. We held a hearing uh, on the matter, and, and uh, a panel that you had to testify before in terms of uh, your own peers and We had expert witnesses uh, on the stand, and then you gave great testimony, and uh, uh, after that was over, it was maybe only a week later where we got the decision. Do you want to speak to that?
3: Well, I, I think one of the most fascinating things about their violent response and, you know, that I think they really were surprised, Um, And I'm just so blessed because I think they – I don't think they saw the vigor of the response coming. You know, they took it as a given, as a
0: huge
3: bully. I mean, this is the biggest bully on the block in my geographic area, um, insurance company-wise, where I don't think they were even prepared, but you were (laughs) and we were. And, you know, they really, they took a massive action without even really checking into their own facts. They hadn't asked me for a single patient's chart to review to see if anyone had been harmed (laughs) or anything. They didn't ask me, well, why are you doing this or anything like that. And, I mean, you constructed a... It's an argument and we work together to just dismantle everything that they attempted to assert where my peers having really no knowledge of <laughs> any, I don't think they were involved in the decision to send out this letter uh, saying that you can't provide this medication where, you know, I... I I guess the peers that were part of the panel, you had some that were like, well, why don't you just do as you're told or don't be in this insurance plan. And others like, wow, thank you for sharing this information that they probably wouldn't use or, um, you know, other people who were maybe more quiet on the matter. But... I mean, I felt good even that day. I felt like we
1: won.
6: <laughs> that
3: was well, my <laughs>
1: impression. Well, if I could say to you, I want to, as you mentioned about the vigorous response and they not necessarily anticipating the vigor with which uh, we responded and resisted. We say all praises due to Allah. We thank Allah for the strength of our beloved. Uh, teacher, the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan, who was the inspiration for us to fight and kept us in the spiritual frame of mind as we fight because we are fighting for truth. But this was a true team effort. I was blessed to be on point, but there was a true team effort really with our dear sister and minister, Dr. Ava Muhammad, who really was one of our experts on this ivermectin. That's she right. was a part of the team, our sister, Amina Bayina Muhammad, who was also another great asset to the team. Our brother, uh, 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 Attorney Saad Alim Muhammad, and we also had uh, an expert witness, Dr. Chris uh, 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 Adama, who really broke down the science on ivermectin, and he was so extraordinary, as you may recall, and so convincing that he had them thanking him and asking yes, him questions, and then uh, other attorney, uh, Alan Dumoff. So we had a team, and with your conviction, we we went at this, and I wanted to thank all of those because none of this is done uh, when you're in these kinds of battles without the help of others, and, of course, most oh, importantly, with the help of God. So yes. uh, when we finished that, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to read the result. There's two paragraphs that showed what the result was after that hearing and the your peer review committee, as they were called, issued a decision saying, after careful review and consideration of information and testimony presented by counsel and Dr. Shabazz, the committee reversed the earlier decision suspending Dr. Shabazz and reinstated Dr. Shabazz as a participating provider. That was one decision. Then they went further. The committee unanimously agreed that Dr. Shabazz provided good care to her patients at a time when there was a lack of protocols and treatment uh, options at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The committee specifically noted that Dr. Shabazz followed a methodical and well-thought-out prescribing method by incorporating ivermectin as a part of a patient's overall treatment regimen. And we say all praises due to Allah, and, and with those two mm-hmm. phrases exonerating you and, uh, and validating your professional judgment with your patients. And I remember when they asked you how many did you treat, and I think it was maybe 800, and you said not one. Not one had an adverse reaction. Uh, and and it was, it was amazing and extraordinary. But I wanted to bring that out because, you know, again, for the people to know uh, what has been done. And, again, everything that I just said is actually in the Final Call article that I mentioned, A Victory for Ivermectin. Volume 41, number 37, dated June 21, 2022. If you want to go back and review it, let's look at it. Now, this is another important segue because now, Dr. Shabazz, what is your sense as you're hearing now as we're coming into this so-called season? and What do they call it? I I can't use the word. It's triple in there somewhere where they're talking about all of these various uh, uh, conditions, damage. the flu, the, yeah, triple damage. Could you give us your observation or thought on that um, as as you well, observing I these mean, activities?
3: It, no doubt that as we come indoors, the weather is cooler, and, you know, we're spending more time indoors, increasing the number of gatherings we do pass germs to one another. Mm-hmm. That has happened, you know, they used to call it flu season, which we're in, and I, I couldn't say with certainty, you know, what all of the factors are, but I am reasonably certain that a couple of years of things just not circulating at a baseline level because of our um, physical uh habits in terms of uh, distancing one another or masking where we're just not exposed, you know, the community is not exposed to mm-hmm. the regular stuff. As often, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm quite certain that that affects things, sort of like when you put a child in daycare in the beginning, you know, they're getting sick every two seconds for a while while they get exposed <laughs> to, you know, all of these new uh, germs. But, um you know i I have not so far you know I'm in an outpatient setting so i I can't give a fair mm-hmm. judgment of what is happening in the hospital. I don't doubt that it's happening, but then there's a I also don't doubt that part of it is marketing you know in mm-hmm. terms of the anxiety level that you know they people are expected to continue to have you know unrelenting and you know, the, I I personally find it quite upsetting, actually, to now see commercials on television, and this is not exactly related to the triple-demic, but for COVID in particular, uh, commercials, now that they have the Pfizer pill that we've all paid mm-hmm. for, um, and it, it its function or its Place in the marketplace is the same place that something like ivermectin would have um, an early oral treatment intervention to help make it less likely that one, a person would get very violently ill and and, and possibly lose their life from COVID. Now, you never saw any commercials saying, you know, you've got to act early If you get COVID, I mean, you know, if you wait too late, it could be too late. You never saw any such commercial until now. (laughs) They had the antibody treatment, which, yes, it's expensive, but many people found it to be highly effective. I mean, (laughs) that's what, uh, you know, (laughs) the, the minister said he experienced that, had that treatment, and he said it worked so well, he was quite <laughs> afraid of it. It was that effective, and that's what I heard when I first started hearing about it in December of 2020, and ne- I never saw a commercial
5: about that.
3: you never publicized to the masses of black people they were so worried about, right? They were so worried about us dying of COVID, yet they never bothered telling us that we could go and get this treatment that was so very effective.
5: Right? Well, like even
3: yes, these, not even the, uh, Not even ivermectin, like the stuff from a drug company, mm. why don't you tell us to go get it? You know, it's just, I, it's not genuine. I can't even take people seriously when they feign concern, you know, for us. They, they're not. Well, we
1: know that we know decisions were made and the decision was made to press for a certain thing at the exclusion of others. And that's one of the things about, you know, back during the, um, when the honorable Louis Farrakhan spoke uh, during um, the criterion, he talked about other therapies. And right. so what I wanted to ask you about that, and and, and because certainly uh, other treatments, and certainly we had people like the Frontline Critical Care Alliance and others who were letting folks know that there were other therapies and building up your immune system uh, uh, along with uh, uh, that to help build up one's resistance, if you could speak to the impact of other treatments and therapies and, of course, building up one's immune system as a, as a, right. as a, a very necessary part of health.
3: And then I guess we can, this gives me a perfect segue to get on topic for a change <laughs> with how to eat Okay, right. When, in um, December of 2019, actually,
0: there was a big review
3: article published in the New England Journal of Medicine about intermittent fasting and mm-hmm. the effects and, you know, there was even the, like a Forbes article that I might have come across first about how a three-day fast could completely turn over your whole immune system, you know. That reside. sounds familiar.
1: That sounds familiar.
3: Yes. Yeah. That sounds very <laughs> familiar where, you know, I remember in the scramble of, uh, of of 2020, April of 2020, I remember posting something like, okay, they say there's no cure for this, so who's doing the fast? <laughs> because this, mm-hmm. we know this this works. Like if there's something that can help you, it's this. And, you know, one of my initial reactions when I started to understand or learn how tied this infection and your risk of having a bad outcome was to your, all of the things that I deal with on a day-to-day. And I said, wow, I am grateful for our teachings because we should be in better shape than average if we, because even in our imperfect practice of how to eat to live, I really do think that our striving does, make a difference. You know, we are not the same. I, I don't think anyone has done a formal study, but we really should find out how we could do a formal study where we compare ourselves to the average black person who is not necessarily striving um, the best we can to follow our uh, how to eat restrictive law I really think that so much um, is it a, it doesn't cover hundred percent of cases no um, because there's multiple factors there's factors that go be, before your birth that you don't have any control over because they happen before you even on the on the planet but um, I felt gratitude that we had a tool that was effective that should improve things across the board, you know. Um, And that has been proven out to be the case, that when your health is better, your chance of having a terrible outcome with coronavirus was better. And so our preparation, had we been perfect in our practice, I mean, it should really have been dramatic, the difference, you know, maybe, you know, the, the... evil accident of time type thing getting you. I mean, if you, if you don't die young, you get old, and maybe that being a risk factor that none of us can control. But um, I know that how to eat to live, the fasting part of it, the uh, lifestyle law that we have, I know that all of those things, protective factors that help. And, Overall. and there were
1: also some supplements right that we could that we were able to use to help uh, boost our immune system.
3: Yes sir, you know these things not, and I know that not everyone even believes in supplements but I mm-hmm. <laughs> I took it myself and I recommended them to other people with you know the we know that we're all vitamin D deficient we're indoors mm-hmm. we're not spending time outside I'm even learning more about light it's as medicine and, Mm -hmm. you know, melatonin and how that affects the immune system and inflammatory process and, you know, uh, vitamin C. And I really didn't know that much about, you know, (laughs) I I did, I was aware that it could interfere with uh, viruses, cold viruses binding in the mucosa, like zycan type thing. You know, I, I worked mm-hmm. in it, uh, at a company where I had an opportunity to read up on that. Things that I used for many years, uh, this supplement called NAC or N-acetyl cysteine, which has a, a number of medical uses, but also is an antioxidant, free radical scavenger. You know, it's used in You know, acetaminophen overdoses, it's used in a nebulized form for cystic fibrosis. It's, you know, used for a number of different things. And I personally, for many years, had taken it as like a preventive for cold season. Um, Quercetin, which is a plant flavonoid. You know, these are things that I personally use. I know that people use other things that they found helpful. You know, I... I really had never been one to take black seed, but I, I went and got some because I was reading that <laughs> it could be helpful and even just physical things like gargling with uh, the antiseptic mouthwashes, that type of thing to, you know, potentially make someone less contagious, but you really don't know if you pick up an infection. But gargling, for instance, with the antiseptic mouthwash can, could help to cut down on the spread or maybe even kill the virus when, before it really takes root in, in your own uh, nose or throat. So just different things that um, I, I use aspirin. I think aspirin is even enough. That's not a supplement, but we all probably heard about how um, with this particular strain of coronavirus, it's causing clotting big clots, little clots, microclots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made aspirin, just a routine part of my recommendations. Even for those of my patients, I have many patients who did decide to be vaccinated and they might ask me, well, you know, what could I do? And I would tell them to do the same thing, <laughs> just follow the same regimen, um, especially the aspirin. And, you know, maybe hopefully that will make it less harmful, you mm-hmm. know, for um, yes. you, I don't know. You know, some people felt like it helped them, or others probably didn't do it. Most of them probably just didn't even say anything to me because they know I'm in the nation, so they didn't even talk to me about it. <laughs> um, but yes, sir. Well, of course, I, one of the things so
1: I one of the things I do want to so, appreciate you, you you a point you made is that the there were patients that came to you that had already been vaccinated, not that they were being vaccinated through your practice. And I think that's right. important. I just want to clarify right. that because that's a very important.
3: Right. Well, they might have uh, be, wanted be, to be, know, yeah. yes, I'm going to do it. Yeah. What can, you know, yeah. what should I do? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that type of thing. And, I mean.
1: I, one, it, so, anyway, let me ask you this. Can I ask you this question now in terms of overall health in this particular season that we're in? um uh, that we want to talk about more about how to eat to live specifically in terms of what is taught, you know, in terms of the one meal a day, uh, having the bean soup, fresh vegetables. Can you uh, elaborate a little more on the whole concept, you know, eating once a day? I mean, these are, these, these are really scientific, you know, that bean soup, right. that uh, fresh vegetables that, eating once in between every 24 hours. If you go into that uh, aspect of of how to eat to live. Yes, sir. And it's interesting because
3: if I think back like maybe 15 years, 15 years ago or maybe 20, like even in the nation, we have really kind of gotten so distracted about the details that the Mm -hmm. main point, (laughs) we really weren't really paying attention to the main point anymore um, about the one meal a day component or the fasting mm-hmm. or intermittent fasting or uh, they have so many different scientific terms if someone were to go and, and do like a literature. I mean, when I finally took the time to reread or, you know, not just the compilation of verbal blurbs from my parents, but to really sit and read for right it really jumped off the page that this is the key point. Of course we should eat vegetables. Of course we should eat the navy bean and, you know, avoid. And even there are some people who are really not clear on why we don't even eat certain types of vegetables and things like that or uh, (laughs) scavengers and things of that nature, certain types of bread and, corn and the milk stays. these these are these are fine-tuned points but the main thing is that fasting piece and it is so miraculous what happens in our bodies when we do it that we really rob ourselves of you know like a jackpot of sort in terms of health following it and um you know, you need a solid, even, you know, we, we the way it was given to us is a pretty restrictive, you know, maybe like a 22-hour fast, two hours of feeding, right? That's how it's laid out mm-hmm. for us as the optimal method. But they've even looked at eight hours a day of feeding, which is a lot. I mean, they <laughs> eat all day long. You know, eight hours of feeding and 16 hours of fasting, and how even that can provide you with uh, a lot of health benefits. Um, you know, if you if you could just follow that. I mean, if you're sleeping six, seven, eight hours a night, you know, you really only need to tack on a couple hours before bed, a couple hours. When you wake up to delay, you know, to stop eating early and then delay eating um, or drinking for the day. And that's another point people forget. It's not just chew calories because your body on a cellular level, it's, it's recognizing whatever, whether it's liquid, you know, how we're preparing our our coffee. That's probably where I tend to mess up the most is, you know, I like to have um, not coffee so much anymore, but uh tea. I like Thai tea. And, you know, honestly, the way I'm preparing it is breaking my fast, Um, where if it has milk and sweetener or whatever in it, you'd be better off to eliminate that or, you know, make it a very small quantity because you really want to get a, a, a solid 10 to 12 hour fast at a minimum. In because the the things that help to heal you and protect you don't really turn on good until you get to that 10-hour point. Um, you know, that's what you're really aiming for is a minimum 10 to 12 hours before things start working, and then if you can stretch that to the 16 hours and then, you know, gradually
7: improve
3: or, you know, get more restrictive of your practice of it, then um, you could extract the best benefit for your
1: health. And and certainly, of course, the Ambalajah, of we taught, as he encouraged us to eat one meal a day, to master it, to master Master. eating one meal, and he said every 24 hours in between, you see. Master one meal a day, and then if you could master one meal a day, then try to see if you can go for once every other day and there's some that do. And he said it of course grants you longer life if you can go to once every other day and if you're really supremely disciplined once every three days there's some who do that. So but even with the fasting, eating the proper foods and having the foods being properly prepared. Certainly right. the processed foods and the fast foods is Right. Not a part of
3: our repertoire And uh, I think most of us in the nation Right Most of us in the nation we Even if we don't do it We do have some level of awareness It's not like that You know Someone who really Has had no exposure to the teachings at all Who really doesn't even know That half the things they're eating Is killing them You know We might lose our discipline um, And we're You know making the cookies and the ice cream and overdoing it on the bean pies and um, chips or whatever. But I like to think, I like to believe, and my husband tells me sometimes I really, (laughs) I'm giving people a lot of credit that maybe I'm overestimating their level of, of knowledge but I think that's something I don't think it's a bad thing that I think the most of people, but I really do believe that we do we generally kind of have a sense of what we should and shouldn't do as far as food, but we you know we have we lack discipline sometimes, but we have to practice well, um
1: well I can say this for the elevated places network there's certainly in terms of this discussion we're having to to bear in mind um that Others of our people may be listening, so we certainly want to take the time to say to right. them so it's clear. Um, yes, sir. Uh, yes,
3: if if they're so not fresh, aware of what they should best. be aware
1: of. Yeah.
3: Fresh is best. So if you, here's right. the way I keep it simple for people. Does what you're about to eat need a label? Does it need a label? Because fresh mm. things... It is what it is. I mean, it's string beans, it's broccoli. You don't have to need a label for that. You know, it is what it is. Um, so that's clue number one, that it needs a label. is probably processed. Clue number two, if the label that what you're going to eat has, has a whole bunch of ingredients, you know, the, the list is so long of what's in it, you know, that's clue number two, that that's not the type of thing you really should be eating and clue number three is if you try to read off some of those words on more like a chemistry textbook than a recipe then you know these (laughs) are things that you can use as a rough guide of things to stay away from you know if it grows out of the ground and if you learn I mean even I take it as a point of pride to just try to grow things you know I, I had a I called it this year a a walk-by garden behind my office where I don't have a whole lot of time to be gardening and things like that, but, you know, God I, I, blessed me, a couple of years, well, yeah, that was like the summer of 2020. I had someone set up some raised beds, and, you know, one morning I walked by, I had these seeds, I walked by, I went ahead and poked my finger down, put the little seeds in as I walked by, and I might water it as I walked by the next time, where it wasn't a high-stress Garden, But I had uh, okra, I had tomatoes, and really, you know, a lot kept giving me tomatoes. I planted tomatoes, these little cherry tomatoes in 2020. They keep coming back, like, (laughs) because the seeds fall and they keep coming back. String beans. Um, I had a a lot of nice tomatoes because I bought some other ones. I had herbs. And just try. just try. I know I couldn't live off of just what i planted like that, but if you just practice it and try it and you learn fresh food really tastes like out the ground because some people have never really had fresh food. And they don't even know. It might taste nasty to you at first. When you're used to eating so much processed food, you don't even enjoy fresh food. <laughs> it, it tastes bad. You have to retrain your whole taste buds to even know what food tastes like. And um, here in Philadelphia is the blessing because we have a good number of urban gardens and, you know, people who went and trained with um a brother out in, uh, oh, gosh, is it Wisconsin? Uh, oh gosh, Will Allen. um mm-hmm. It's co-op I'm walking distance from a food co-op and I know that they, at, at some point they had people training out there um, where you know you could even get chickens. depending on where you live you could get a chicken coop and put it in your own yard and uh, get your own eggs I haven't done that but there's so many opportunities to just try just try and it's like an exercise for me it's an exercise not only of you know, to have some fresh things, especially like herbs, are so easy, and it's a way to enhance the flavor of your food without adding so much processed ingredients, and it really elevates your cooking. To, in my opinion, um, where well, that's something simple yeah. you could do, you know, to to try to go back to the earth. But it's also like a it's like a freedom exercise too, like a resistance. <laughs> like I have agency to get food from the ground myself. I don't need to go to your store to get every morsel of food that goes into my body, and it's it's like a good mental exercise to do as well. Well,
1: thank you so much. Um, I want to just remind our listeners, uh, if you uh, care to comment or ask a question, we are at 563. 999-3065 and press 1 to enter into the queue. I wanted to say, Dr. Sophia, this is so important because, you know, the scriptures talk about the Messiah in the Holy Quran and it says, teach us what foods to eat and teach us what foods to store in our homes. And so we have to also talk about how they to deliver to in terms of the time and like you just said our people have to begin to learn the art not only of how to deliver but also if we believe in the scriptures that a famine is coming to the land like it did uh in uh uh the scripture in in terms of the book of exodus and the children of israel that story is is really now and so we have to also being prepared to not only uh, learn how to eat, to live one meal a day, one meal every other day, one meal every three days. At a certain point, that can be very life-saving in terms of uh, the days ahead. And, of, so- of course, growing your own food, even in your backyard. They now have many different ways that you can operate and co- and, and uh, grow food out of a flower pot with the right kind of soil. You spoke on Will right. Allen. so. These are important things that, that we have to consider as a community and in our neighborhoods and communities where we have food deserts and where our communities are proliferated with fast food and processed food uh, places, they're there for a reason. It's not accidental. We don't have the supermarkets of fresh food. So, you know, this is, is such an important uh, area that we have to also speak to to our people, and it's not as complicated as as we think and and back uh in those days you the only way you would eat is go to the earth and grow what you eat right
3: um and th-
1: and and like you said, there's a great difference between eating a fresh tomato versus eating something that's not fresh or certain fresh foods that come right up out of the ground that don't have that. Uh, same color that you would use see uh, at the supermarket where they spray. Uh, right. uh, they spray. Uh, uh, I would say uh, to give the food coloring. You see what I mean? Right. Um, I know
6: they put wax
3: on some stuff, or they gas. Uh, what is it? Yeah. Apples or something? They gas to try to give yeah. it.
1: Mm-hmm. Color whiteness. Right. I mean, and so I wanted to say that uh, the, the the things I was talking about with the flower pot, I, I, someone just sent me is not a flower pot; it's called planters. Thank you very much for for the list. <laughs> That's what I love about this show. They were called I, I mean, it saves. this they help us out, help help us out. And but let me ask you this question: uh, I want you to talk from a standpoint of the standpoint of gradualism, where the Amalai Dumumathy start with one meal first, master it before you go to try to do one every other, one every three. And sometimes we get a little bit extreme and go from uh, having done nothing to try to go to the extreme. Could you speak on uh, the, the 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 process of, I'll use the term, gradualism, building yourself up to a certain point right. so that you don't injure yourself?
3: Well, and I think that um, there are people who are able to, you know, go right out to the one meal a, a day. So, but you can also, you know, gradually. It really, it's, you have to individualize your approach, and it helps. And this is why it's the same, because as a physician, I always have to say, you know, consult with your doctor, consult with your doctor. The unfortunate thing is that we don't have enough doctors to go around or health professionals to go around who are familiar with intermittent fasting, familiar with specifically, but in in, in general, even in the mainstream, there's not enough people who are really familiar with the practice of intermittent fasting and the benefits to even advise someone, but that really is what an individual should do, particularly if they have any kind of health conditions, especially conditions that require taking medications for diabetes, then you really want to have this conversation because there may need to be adjustments made to your medication regimen to make it something that fits uh, this new mm-hmm. lifestyle that you're trying to adopt. So, um, you know, that is always a disclaimer. I am a doctor, but I'm not your doctor. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. You have to. You have to um, go with that. But then we all have a doctor, you know, uh, a line person, uh, you said from God in person, and if you believe that, then you believe that there's life for you on the other side of um, implementation. So, yes, the gradual, well, and I talked about the gradual approach, eight hours. You should be able to do yeah. eight hours fast. You, if you go to sleep every day, as you should, then you could do eight hours fast and, and, and understand that you won't die. Or 10 <laughs> hours. I mean, right. anyone should, be, people sleep 10 and 12 hours, so they already know that they're not going to die from fasting. Ten or twelve hours because they're sleeping that amount of time, where um, you know you can gradually tack on days, tack on days like that,
1: um,
3: or tack well, on hours. Well, I'm glad
1: you like that. I'm, I'm glad you're saying that because obviously, as as you know, you you you're you're training yourself. Your body trains itself one way or another, and it really does require just like exercise. I can't go up and get on the treadmill and run five miles, and I hadn't been up there for I don't know how long. I have to start off walking slow, build up my strength, develop it, develop it over time. And uh, like you said, even with fasting, you can't decide that you're going to go on a 10-day fast and you've never fasted before in your life and end up, hurting yourself. Maybe you can get through it, maybe not. But I'm just saying that we have to be intelligent in our approach. Oh, and by the way, it looks like we have a question uh, from our uh, final call person. Maybe we should, Sister Charlene, are you there with your question?
2: Yes, and I'm really enjoying this dialogue. I have two questions. One, could you please, yes, elaborate on the roller coaster because some some months and years I've mastered it, and then the next you think I never heard of how to eat to live. And also, <laughs> can you discuss the? I'm curious. Can you discuss the mental state and the mind state of when people who like me may be rolling right along but find themselves off of it? I mean, beyond 21 days of one meal a day.
3: Well, the same is true. I've found during Ramadan. I mean. That's why I hesitate to say you've got to do gradual because every year I ungradual, you know, Ramadan and, and <laughs> with, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm dehydrated all all day or, you know, getting up at extreme earliness that goes above and beyond the average Muslim getting up and that type of thing. So it's not that it can't ever be done, but it is much more difficult, that's for sure. And, um, you know, in terms of roller coaster, oof,
2: we all have things that
3: we do consistently and then other things that you kind of be consistent and then inconsistent. But, I, you know, I guess this is kind of relating to another topic. I find it's so much more easy. For us to be consistent when we have cultures and community and environments that are set up to make it not a, an active decision every time, and this is, mm. you know, I I realize that part of our difficulty has been it does tie back to the whole separation piece because when you mm. have flip flop in between, you're in this society and then you got to come in and out of it and. You know, you've got to be, you know, a Muslim by yourself in your head, and you know, like, and constantly trying to pull yourself in instead of just creating an environment that makes it a natural pattern that's easy to follow when you're not making a decision about it each and every time. that really is the ideal um, way to go, you know. Mm-hmm. Um But I would say it's still worth going back to it every time. I mean, every time you fast, there's benefits benefit for you, right? So, okay, you didn't do it last week. (laughs) You can
2: still do it today (laughs) or next week. Yes. Thank you. That is absolutely correct. And believe it or not, well, it's a believe. Ramadan is the best time I, I mean with, with everyone And of course with the Ramadan prayer line That I have no problems with But I had to, had to Come in and ask that question So those questions So thank you both very much
6: yes,
1: So well Doc uh, Continuing on with this uh, uh, Discussion Particularly On the issue of preparing food to store in our homes. Um, Again, there's a science to how this is done. It's not just haphazard. There's a process uh, in how... there are
3: so many resources and communities and things, access to information and resources that are so far above and beyond what we really had access to even... Twenty years ago, you know, you are know, a lot of preppers, oh, sure. <laughs> and they share information. And I heard, you know, that they were getting robbed. They had them on TV, <laughs> and people were finding out where they were. And were getting robbed, so they say good preference do some of talking. <laughs> but, um, yes, sir. I mean, I think that it can be easy be lulled into a sense of complacency because most of us, if we've gone, I don't know if this is true, this might be me talking from my place of privilege in my life, um, thanks to a lot, but I have not personally gone a day without eating that I didn't choose. To go a day without eating You know, like I, I would always mm-hmm. tell my children I don't like For them to use the term They're hungry because they've never Experienced hunger You know, they really, to me <laughs> I would tell them Hungry is when You haven't Eaten for days And starvation when they Oh, I'm starving Starvation is when You haven't
6: eating for
3: maybe more than a week, and you're not even sure if you're going to eat or when you're going to eat. You know, you really don't even know the term that you're using. You should, I, I wouldn't even allow them to use certain terms
1: uh, because it's really not well, acknowledging yeah. how blessed well, we are. Well, we're also living in a society where conditioning – you know, it's conditioning, um, right. you know, where they say, meaning this society that we live in, you know, God says, uh, do not do, and they say, let's do. So this uh, exactly. three meals a day, as and the Most Amalized talk uh, taught us about that, that the poisons building up in your system because you don't uh, take the time to allow the, the toxins to to get out of your system before you are piling on uh, 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 food. And um, and I know one of the greatest things that I've learned from just the science of how to eat to live, there's a science to where the Ambalaj Muhammad says recommends eat your meal between four and six. There's a science behind that. There's a a scientific reasoning uh, behind it, Doc, that uh, we should understand um, because of how the body digests. And, um, you know, I learned this myself about at certain times of the night, eating late, late at night, and this is one of the things that – you know during Ramadan, after fasting for fourteen hours, you can't really sit there and eat no large meal because your, right. your, your, your 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 body is shrinking, and nor should you eat heavily like that, and you're about ready to go right to bed
4: <laughs>
1: at night right. which is not a good which is not a good practice for your body chemically or physically to because your body is actually working while you're trying to sleep, breaking down all of the food that you eat. Uh, and it's and flux it's reflux
3: and all of that.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and so, even scientifically, eating eating well. Um, is it, so important. And uh, and so oh, I got a very nice text. We have our one of our producers here, Sister Donna Muhammad. Uh, please chime in and join us for a comment, Sister Donna. I can't hear you. Well, we'll wait for her
4: to. Sorry, I had Chime in. To you
1: to,
5: can you hear me now?
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I I can, yeah. Like, well, I, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah can, can you hear me, hear me now? now.
5: <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. first of all, thank you, Doctor Sophia and and Brother Arf, uh one for sharing the journey of the the um, case against the insurance company for Ivermectin. and That was so fascinating to hear from it all the way on that other side. Um, But I just wanted to make this quick comment, and then I see we have some other callers coming in, too. Uh, Right in 2020, right before the pandemic, I started eating every other day. It was maybe a few weeks out before Ramadan, and the experience was phenomenal. But over time, I kind of fell away. I went through something, and I went back. And I remember reading in How to Eat to Live, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says, when you start eating one meal every other day, don't go back. And, you know, I was thinking, wow, what, what does that mean? Because I've come back to one meal a day. And I can say this, when I ate every other day, I honestly, truly felt like I could live forever. I had more energy. I accomplished more. I mean, there was just an overall good feeling about that. My thoughts were even different. When I went back to one meal a day, my body is still kind of, is still very desirous of getting back to the state that it was. Because you know how once you've experienced something and you want that back, and I know I have to go back to it, but I know having had that experience, it is, it is, it is life. It is a lengthening, life, lengthening process. I had some certain particular aches and pains and some situations, uh, health situations that actually started to go away uh, from well, eating Sister every Donna, other day. There are
3: people who chase the high of cane and whatever else.
0: The way you
3: want that high of eating <laughs> every <laughs> two days, I
5: say chase it. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it. I mean, because I sat up there and counted and I was like, I literally eat between only 14 to 16 meals a month. 14 to 16 meals a month is what it boils down to when you eat every other day. And I thought about how far I came. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to attest to that, having experienced that. And and by a lot of submission and my discipline, I'm going to get back to that because I loved it. I love how it felt. And I know that it will lengthen my life. And it will, as he says, fast and cures 90% of our ills. I'm a witness bearer to conditions that went away as a result of that. So I thank you for taking this time. And I'm going to get back behind these boards because we got some other callers. Yes, ma'am. Salaam
1: alaykum. Salaam Well, we got some calls, so Sister Donna, you can let me know who we have and uh, bring them on so we can hear some of the uh, thoughts uh, from our, our viewers. Um, who who has a question? Well, I guess she's getting them ready. I don't hear anyone. Sister Donna? Well, I'll be sending this to shortly, we... and you
5: can continue with the robust dialogue, and I oh. will give you the call in just a moment.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, to our listeners, um, and we thank you for uh, listening. And, and well, this I
3: this have something that I wanted to um, maybe emphasize, another aspect that might not think about often, just the, Go ahead. in terms of tying in how, you know, this emphasis on health and how to eat to live and our overall desire for freedom justice and equality and you know a, a, a place of our own and a separate state of territory etc where if you look at some of the conditions that are clearly improved by or prevented with um Following this dietary practice and look at the numbers associated with it, I took down some statistics where you know diabetes is a three hundred and twenty seven billion would it be dollar per year condition in this country, and ninety billion dollars of that is related to lost productivity right where well, we can't be as Productive as we might like to be because of this um, in our health. They said cardiovascular disease, which includes things like hypertension or, you know, ischemic heart disease or blockages in the heart, that adds up to $320 billion per year in cost. Um, even something like depression, which, you know, that does relate to um to some degree to our actual eating practices but i would say you know our lifestyle a lot of times our community life our, um you know even there are medical conditions that are related to depression but i always say that how do you live in the restrictive law would get us most of the way there you know as individuals but also just as a as a community where we'd be less depressed if we had things set up in the in the optimal way where that is another three hundred and twenty six billion dollar um, condition where these are things that our health stat, status or health state is interfering with our ability to be productive for our families, for our nation. It makes us, you know, it, it, it knocks out some of the um, power of, from what we're trying to do. And it's also, you know, if we really truly were desirous of having our own government, we would be a burden to that government to be so sick. We've got to do what we can to um, minimize the need for ex- uh, extraordinary amounts of money being diverted to, you know, resuscitating people health-wise. So, you know, it's not just about, you know, avoiding a pill, but it's about nation-building. I really do think this is part of the reason why this is one of the most fundamental things that the Savior did to try to get our health together.
1: Thank you so much, because you certainly raise a very good point about productivity and its relationship to how to eat to live and building a nation and you got to be healthy to be able to give your best and be uh fulfilling and as much uh energy and time as you can but uh and i thank you for that uh parallel analogy about the consequence of not eating properly because uh, it definitely will affect uh, how we live so we got a caller now, uh, Sister Taiwan. I hope I'm saying it right, Sister Taiwan. Are you there?
8: Yes, Lake um. Sister Taiwan. Yes, sir.
1: You said it right, Tawon. Sister
8: Taiwan, Washington DC. Yes, sir. Praise All <laughs> right. to Allah. Yes, sir. I, um, thank you for um, allowing me to speak. Uh, I just wanted, I I, I was even thinking about not not saying anything after Sister Donna came on, her testimony and her enthusiasm. However, uh, when Sister Charlene was speaking and uh, and the doc about, um, you know, the roller coaster process that we'd be on or just not eating the one meal a day and then not going right back to it, you know, just getting stuck, And um, what came to my mind was, um, you know, our leader, teacher, and guide, and what came in my mind was that Mr. Farrakhan, when he leaves us, he tells us, tomorrow, go be a better Muslim, be a better NGT, be a better FOI. And I was thinking about how we have to, um, you know, uh, um, when we – truly think of that as part of our faith, and we think about how we will say, okay, I didn't do it, and then I kind of fall back, and I, I keep fall, I, I stay back, I don't go forward again, then I'm saying, okay, I believe in a true living God who is ever-merciful and ever-forgiving And we're told all the time, okay, go forward and be a better Muslim tomorrow. Allah is with you. So if he forgives me, then I think what gets lost in this piece is I have to forgive myself for making that mistake and not falling in a hole because I made a mistake. And forgive myself because I know that Allah forgives me, so he forgives me surely. If I forgive myself, then I can move forward. And I'm saying that. I was thinking this for myself when they were talking, and I just wanted to share what came to my mind, and I hope maybe it helps somebody else to do better, which is what I'm going to do. Instead of falling back and holding back, then I'm going to forgive myself and move forward and start again each time. I come Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you, Sister
1: one. They have Knock
3: I think they have a, a gospel response. song. We they have a gospel song. We fall down but we get up. <laughs> uh <laughs> so you know, you can't stay down. I think that was that I think my my mom or somebody said that or there might have been an interview with Muhammad Ali and they said well what he got knocked down and said, Well what what did you think? You know, how did? what were you thinking? I was thinking get up. <laughs>
1: well you know, it's yeah, funny you said that down. because that's there was a Donnie McClurkin song, We Fall Down but We Get Up. And yes, it, the lyric was We Fall Down and We Get Up He said, For a saint is just a sinner who fell down. But he got right back up again. So right. let's 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 keep getting up. So Yes sir. Uh the second caller we have is a, a Sister Sudan. So I hope I'm saying that right. Sister Sudan, are you there?
0: Yes, sir, as alaykum. Well, ladies ma'am. This is Dan from DC. Yes ma'am. Yes ma'am. Actually I have uh two questions. Um I'm working with um a small group of women, sisters who are in my community who are actually struggling to get off drugs and they want to eat better. Um I um we gave them how to eat the less, but they're having a hard time um trying to get off the junk food that they used to. They're tr- they struggling with drugs, and they're trying to overcome those things, and they're also trying to eat better, and it's a challenge for them. So I was asking, what advice would you have that you can give to me so that I can help these sisters? And number two, I'm also working with some of the children in my community, um, trying to help the mothers to actually give these children, little children, a better diet, but we're trying to, but the children will not eat. The fruits, the vegetables, whatever we're giving them, they do not want it at all. They will not eat. So we need help. So I just wanted to ask those questions. What would you recommend?
3: Well, what all I could offer is ideas because it can be a challenge when someone has grown accustomed to what they thought was food, where then you bring them, I, I mentioned this earlier, you taste a real tomato and it tastes nothing like ketchup. So now, you know, the tomato now all of a sudden tastes nasty compared to the ketchup, because um, that's what you're used to. And I mean, it's always easier when you're dealing with younger children. I have found that by getting them involved in the growing process, even if it's something small, I mean, they're much more enthusiastic about enjoying that fresh food if they have had a whole experience around it. You know, that takes time, of course. And for the uh, mothers, it is difficult, but I know that fasting can also be a tool or an aid to help them to overcome the difficulties, you know, including addiction, because if you can master, this is a story, a personal story for my family, because my father told me that this was the key for him in kicking a cigarette habit, because when he was a new Muslim, and Brother Malcolm was uh, sharing an apartment with them, and explaining that they don't eat breakfast, and he is gotten up and prepared this whole big breakfast and come to find out we don't eat it. And so he's got to learn how to not eat, not smoke, all of it, where um, he found he was able to quit cold turkey smoking when he was able to quit eating all day. You know, when you master that discipline for something that you do need, it can empower you or to reach train your brain, because a lot of people will do something called switching, and I'm not an addiction expert, but there is a phenomenon of called switching, where you switch one addiction out for another. So, you know, you might not be uh, smoking anymore, but now you're eating, or for some people it's sex, or, uh, you know, gambling, where you switch out one addiction for another, where, you know, to cut that nerve, that neural pathway, you have to cut them all um, and don't feed that cycle at all. And I mean, there's um, I, I I've listened to a, a lot of books. It's not necessarily like the, uh, you know, from our teachings. But there was one I uh, learned a couple of tips from called the Power of Habit, where there's the cue that kind of is the thing that sort of triggers your brain to want to do this routine, and that routine gives you a certain reward. And what people have to do is to develop awareness of the Q routine reward system and to replace the routine of the thing that's bad for you with the routine of something that is actually good for you but gives you similar rewards. So, like, Mm -hmm. exercise might be one of those things. So we have drill, you know, so maybe that's something that might help to incorporate or even walking or something like that for those women where to replace that routine of using drugs or eating junk food or whatever to uh, get some of that same um, brain chemical reward from the movement piece, perhaps. That might help. I don't, that's just an idea. It's not. I'm not an expert in it, but just some ideas. Well, if I
1: could add to that, Dr. Sophia, I think the biggest part of hearing what our sister was saying in both instances is you have to really separate from that environment. Because, see, when you're in that environment and you don't have enough persons of like mind to help strengthen you to overcome, it, it takes will. And right. um, you know, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan was teaching us about that and you know back in in and the days of of our nation, um, when the most humble Muhammad was among us and by the way, sister Doctor Sophia, uh dad was the great pioneer of minister of mosque number twelve in Philadelphia, uh um uh, brother Jeremiah Shabazz. So uh she she kept mentioning him. I just wanted to say who he, who he was. Um, but the point is when we used to do um, helping brothers who I had a brother who was a heroin addict. And to detox, you have to, you have to get him out of the environment. You have to put him in an environment uh, with, with other brothers who would help him, you know, to go through what he was going through. And so you have to have an uh, environment is so critical because if you're, if you're standing right uh, next to the candy store, you know, it's hard to say stop eating candy and everybody running in and out with candy. You have to come from out of the environment, put in a different environment, and then with a support system around you that will help strengthen you. And that's really the beauty of Islam and the teaching right. of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad Under the guidance of the honorable Minister Lewis Farrakhan, today we have the FOI class, the MGT class. See, we as Muslims, we associate with those of like minds, and we strengthen each other uh, uh, because we're all still human beings. But if I'm if I'm with a strong Muslim brother, I'm not stopping at the McDonald's, uh, 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 trying to get a fish sandwich just because we say it's a fish sandwich. See, strength in numbers. So uh, mm-hmm. out of the environment until you build up the strength away from that environment so that you can go back into the environment and not be besieged by the environment. And I think that's the challenge that uh, I believe Sister Sudan is, is facing. So yes, sir. Uh, I want to bring on uh, Brother Hoyle. I, I see him uh, here. Brother Hoyle, are you there? Uh, yes, sir. As-salamu a
7: Beautiful show. Um, Sister Sudan has uh, does a great job. She has some great videos on current events, and, and I send her information, and she does an excellent job. I suggest people go on her page and watch her videos. She's an advocate for the homeless, and, um, and every current event, she's on it. Um, Dr. Oh, Sophia Shabazz, oh, brother, and you, I know you, you're you on it too, brother, Uh for you, top man with the uh, attorney. And um, I love when you uh, host the show. <clears throat> and Sister Sophia Jabaz, you know, you got a long, great record. So uh, mm-hmm. I was hearing, I wanted to ask you a question. It was a new article uh, in the final call, and it talked about prominent doctor explains how Big Pharma tried to crush ivermectin. And I know you're familiar with that. You know, everybody has a narrative. It's a uh, horse. Um, you know, it's a horse medicine, animals for animals, but they don't know that uh, India and Mexico was were cured with that. And then and we, we don't even go to uh, interferon, you know. So um, uh, I know you, you know, I saw the article in the Final Call, uh, the information that you, you know, were working with it and you heal your patients with it. Um, I know they the corporate companies uh, fight that all the time. And uh, they also said, uh, I wanted to get your take on this, uh, that the Red Cross won't take vaccinated blood. They wanted, I uh, had a, it's a brother in the nation who's a uh, policeman, and he was, his health care provider said that they won't take uh, vaccinated blood, that they're looking now for unvaccinated blood for uh, medical, for operations and emergencies. Um, I wanted to give you all that information, too. I think, And um,
3: And, it's probably not quite that way, like mm -hmm. you said it. I mean, if you think most people in this country are vaccinated, it would be. I mean, it's always critically low uh, levels of blood supply, but just on the face of it, without having seen where that came from, that is highly unlikely. Uh, Just because most people are vaccinated so that would mean basically nobody you know, very few people could be donors so that it's probably not quite how uh, you look no. it. But um I then wanna lose all of the point of what you said
1: to Well I think the point that Brother Hoyle was raising was just that on on the one hand the, the effort that there has been to suppress Ivermectin oh, I've in seen. fact recently yeah recently there was an article that came out um that basically was saying that the FDA that had been really really the harsh entity against uh, uh Ivermectin actually is trying to now say that they were not saying don't use it they were just saying Uh, It was just a recommendation, but we all know
3: from your own personal experience,
1: Dr. Sophia, that that statement is ridiculous because they absolutely said, do not take it. Right, and they
3: posted things with a horse, and I I, I really couldn't understand when I first learned about the (laughs) use of the medication for this purpose, and then, you know, just kind of like dipping in different little communities I could see in other countries, they were talking about the horse pace and I mean, it's not honestly it's not necessarily anything wrong with the horse pace.
7: Necessarily.
3: Horses are very expensive animals. I mean people <laughs> they're not trying to kill their horses. <laughs> but I could not understand why people were even having this discussion when it is available For humans, why in the world would you take the horse version instead of the human version? I could not understand Mm -hmm. why this was happening until I started to prescribe it, and then I saw what was happening. What happened Mm -hmm. is I, as a physician, would write a prescription. In fact, you know, there was an article in The Final Call even before the one about this case. I would write a prescription, Mm -hmm. and the pharmacist would refuse to fill it. I had mm-hmm. never experienced that in my life. Like, a pharmacist is going to just not fill my prescription? For what? Like, you don't? I didn't even think they had the authority to keep me from, you know, to just say, no, I'm not going to fill a prescription unless there was a safety concern. So then I started, well, what is your safety concern? And there really was no safety concern, but, you know, who knows what exactly happened, but the pharmaceutical industry and the uh, pharmacy and pharmacy training. I mean, they probably, I mean, they had to have gotten in there and really been proactive. The only, it was crystal clear to me, it had to be a
5: uh,
3: money thing like saving space for a more expensive product that will fill that role, which I feel is exactly what has happened. And, um, you know, even, With the insurance company, insurance companies have long, uh, in some ways, dictated what a physician can and can't do based on their decision to pay or not pay for a thing. But what I had not experienced before is for an insurance company to go beyond saying, well, we're not going to pay for that, to say, well, not only are we not going to pay for it, I mean, you just can't do it, period. I mean, absolutely. Depression. I know that yeah. for a fact, and um, you know I mentioned that earlier. How now you see commercials that just burn me up with it, saying what they should have said back in 2020. Don't wait until it's too late. Act now. Do something to keep from getting in a bad state. They said nothing of the sort when people needed that information. Yes,
7: that's
1: ma'am. right. So, Thank is you. that is we're, that good, Brother Hoyle?
7: Oh, that's excellent. One more question, um, before she goes and let somebody else talk. What is her position on the um uh vitamin Selenium? They say that works.
3: I'm um, sure there works are that. many things that are beneficial, uh, you know, to health and I can't I don't have any
0: specific
3: information about selenium right now. I you know Forgive me for not being prepared in that manner, but I, <laughs> my mother used to say, I don't know which someone, one of my parents used to say, a universe can be built with what I don't know. Like there's a wide gap <laughs>
7: between um,
3: <laughs> what I don't know is a lot of things, but I have no doubt that there are many things that can be useful for uh, improving our health, and/or if you're talking about. Uh, COVID or coronavirus specifically, probably. But I I can tell you from my own experience, the self is just nothing like what it was last year this time. Last year this time, people were trying to die on me. (laughs) But not this year. I have not experienced that lately in a very long time, really since the new year.
1: Well thank well, you, Kate. Okay. You did excellent excellent job. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Arm. Thank You're welcome, you sir. Yeah. Uh Salam. and as the, the hour is drawing near we have uh our next caller, Brother Jabril Muhammad. Are you there, brother Assalam
7: Jabril? Yes, sir, I'll smack Um, I had a quick question um regarding uh fasting and um, some of the benefits along with that. Uh, for somebody like myself, I'm uh, striving in the way of doing one meal every other day, and um, and of course it was a stage, you know, one meal a day to one meal every other day. Uh, my question in regards to that is, um, what are some um, like some natural supplements or some um, some of the key vitamins or supplements that one should be taking, um, you know, uh, during that type of fast.
3: Um, sir, I don't know that I would recommend for someone to take supplements during the fast. I'm not sure if that's so much what you need, but if you felt like you weren't getting the uh vitamins that you needed from the meal you planned to have, I would probably add it to that but i'm not I'm not hundred percent sure about it, but just in my trying to reason through the problem you just presented, I would say any supplementation part of your meal.
7: Okay, yes, ma'am. Sounds good. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, sir. So I think that's a very, very, very important. Um, I think we may have one more caller. We're about uh, six minutes uh, well, really it looks like uh, maybe 10 minutes left um, Sister Donna do we have the next caller or we uh, want to try to get as many in as we can I think that's a very good point um, Dr. Sophia about the fasting part that it's, it's hard to, to do that kind of thing when you're fasting. It takes supplements in between. Would that be breaking the fast because you're still taking something in?
3: It could potentially. It could potentially yeah. or or just counteract some of what you're trying to do, which is to create a stress, mm-hmm. um, you know, condition that your body responds to and then it um, activates. Based on that stress, it's protective mechanism. Okay. So I, I don't know that that would be the best time to take in your supplements. But my rationale would say no, it's not the best time to
1: take your supplement.
7: And um,
1: and that, and that's and even um, uh, well, be, before I go to this other question, it looks like we have one call, on brother Amun Khalifa, so let's. Take him. Um,
6: yes. uh, As-salamu- alaikum Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can um, sir go right ahead.
6: Yes. Uh this is maybe would help the sister in Washington D C trying to get the children to eat uh food. What I did uh I had some uh young Muslim students and some young Christian students with a program that we had here in uh Kansas City. I'm a member of the uh staple goods, and uh, we were growing food and stuff, and they were used to eating real hard peaches and apples, and they thought that was where fruit should be. So I took them down to the Amish, and the Amish had uh juicy peaches and stuff, and uh so I bought them a couple of them, and when they ate it, it shocked them, because juice just splattered out all over their face and their <laughs> lips. And they said, what's wrong with this? And then they noticed how good and juicy and sweet it was, and I told him, I said, now that's a real peach. That's what a peach should be. And that helped get them to start eating, you know, uh, peaches and other fruits and uh, vegetables like that. So maybe, uh, inshallah, this, this summer when the food is uh, ripe right around, she could find some Amish or, or Mennonites and go to their farms and whatnot and let them see their, And just how good it is And then that can get them to eating uh, Nice fresh uh, Fruit and vegetables Because that was really a lot of help for the uh, Especially the Christian students That I had in the program They were just flabbergasted They couldn't believe it So I just wanted to give that information So thank you
1: As-salamu Well,
5: That's
1: that's a very good suggestion Uh, You know the Amish certainly uh, Do very well in terms of of their foods and
8: uh, uh,
1: and vegetables. So, Doctor Sophia, I think we've had a great discussion. Uh, time is upon us now. I wanted to give you a few minutes to make any closing remarks that you may wish on this topic, life more abundantly, and how to, eat to live. Go right ahead.
3: Well, I want to express my gratitude for all of those who uh Put this program together and keep it going. I know how difficult it is because I've tried <laughs> to do something similar with less frequency before, and it is um, you know, it's a, a, a very professional production, so I'm grateful for that. That I'm grateful for the ser- your service, all of those who personally helped me, all of the names that you mentioned, just the Amina Bayinas, uh. Brother Eileen, Sister Dr. Ava, helping me personally. And of course, I, absolutely without saying, but I'll say it anyway, um, our leader and teacher, the Honorable Minister Farquhar, where, you know, they have, all of you have enhanced my life personally and helped my life personally and professionally. But I'm just thankful for the community, thankful for the believers, and thankful to Allah for the teachings and the ability to serve and to even have the ounce of insight that anybody found finds um, helpful. So uh, I'm thankful to Allah for that and for all of those out there who are striving. You know, we're trying to create our communities and our environments so that it's not. So difficult, so that we can, you know, not have to struggle so much to live the life that we know is best for us. It takes all of us working together so that we can we can have these uh, communities, and, and it is um, and having our physical health to be physically capable of doing that work. I think is. Important, you know, you don't want to be cut from the team too soon, you're going injured reserve too soon, so take it up as an act of defiance to be healthy and like a freedom fighting mission. your physical health is an important part <laughs> of that <laughs> because you well, can we take thank it off you the
6: board.
1: <laughs> well, we thank you, and we appreciate you and your service and real quick, uh you can look, doctor. Sophia Up Online, the Fountain Medical Center. Um, and I wanted Fountain to say Med thank you online for all the work that com. you What is it called?
3: FountainMedOnline.com is the site.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And so in closing, we want to again thank all of you and ask for those who, uh, if you wish to, and of course to know that uh, uh, com is still available to, for you to come and to uh, peruse or, or books and master classes um, of our beloved sister, uh, and also uh, uh, go to www.ny.org for uh, obviously replay of our beloved minister's words to us. And so I thank you all so much for this night. Thank you, Dr. Sophia, and again to my brother Darius. Thank you, and Sister Donna. Thank you, and we. Uh, end as we came before you in peace. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.
4: Never leave you standing out in the rain But if you think that I could look you in the face And lie right through my teeth Then turn around and walk away Across my heart